Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of the video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. In Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, a Klingon moon explodes and threatens the extinction of their race. Kirk is chosen to be ambassador to entertain the key Klingon personnel as the talks for peace between these two warring factions begins. When the Chancellor is assassinated, all signs point to Kirk and the Enterprise, and now the crew must try to discover the true culprit. Screenplay by Nicholas Meyer and Denny Martin Flynn, directed by Nicholas Meyer, and released on December 6, 1991. You have not seen this movie before. No, I've only seen the recent Star Trek movies from 2009 to now. Yeah, you haven't even seen, like, Generations or anything. No, I haven't seen those. I I might have seen this. I don't know, because my brother is a bigger Star Wars fan or star trek and star wars fan than i am and so like i know that we rented a lot of these movies and i've seen them i guess technically but i probably just was never paying attention Mm -hmm. so all of this was new like we watched all six it's not just this one we prepped yeah me and you Um, prepped (laughs) yes yeah um, uh yeah (laughs) it was a journey (laughs) it was it was something else Star Trek Generations is one that I saw in the theaters, you know, the one that had the actual, you know, like, cross-generation, had Kirk and okay. Picard. Okay. Uh, that one was good. That was entertaining. I enjoyed that one a lot. The other Star Trek Next Generation movies, I didn't care for as much either. <laughs> I think that this is one of the better ones no, of the I've, six. No, I think that I like this one the most. It's tough for me because I actually kind of liked four as well I like okay I like three four and six okay but I think I was the most engaged with this one I was like oh this is a story <laughs> this is a story and it has pacing yeah this, yeah, like, yeah this like actually knew how to move shit along yeah <laughs> well the fifth one I was ready to walk into traffic because I was like I'm done <laughs> I was like, six better be good. So, so like, is that why we like six? Is because, like, we kind of, not really binge watch. We we didn't watch, like, more than, like, two a week. No, so, yeah, it like, took we, us, like, two months to finally catch up. But, like, do we of. like six because we're like, oh, finally something somewhat competent. Is that, like, the only reason why we like it, you think? Maybe. Like, oh. if we watch this on its own without the other five. Yeah. Like, but, I really wonder how much different things would be if, let's say, I watched all six and you only watched part six. 
Well, like how much I would be would questioning do? because I I don't know the I had to like do a crash course and know about Star Trek like the lore like the beginning like what year we like the chronology and stuff. Yeah, I like mean, I know who the characters are from just general pop culture stuff. Right. But I don't know like. Uh, like the storylines and any story arcs between like all the people, you know? Yeah, so, and, and I think one of the good things about this movie is I think you could go into it pretty blind and still be okay. You could pick up a lot of it from context. Sure, you're going to miss some things. You're going to miss some references. You're going to wonder why they said like, you know, very specific things. But generally speaking, I don't think you need to have all that past knowledge. I don't think watching the other five movies really helped me all that much. Other than to understand that, well, you I, know, spoiler alert from the older ones, like, Spock died and then got re- resurrected and, like... Yeah, he's, reborn. like, relearning. But, uh, and then about Captain Kirk's son. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah. But that, But I mean, they, they bring this up in this movie, because I would be like, who the fuck is that, you know? If yeah, I didn't but, watch the first five. And I know, like, we haven't mentioned 2 as being one of our favorites, whereas I think it's generally accepted that 2 is yeah. one of the best, if not one of, if not the best of the six original yeah, ones Yeah, I was excited people. to watch that, and I was like, after we watched that, I was like, that's it? <laughs> I thought there would be, I, I, I guess because it's so hyped up in my brain... Is it because whenever I see, do see the lists for best Star Trek movies, the Wrath of Khan is always number one. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to see some shit go down. Right. And I literally don't even know <laughs> what the fuck. Yeah. I was like that when it ended, I was like, that's it. It felt like a set piece to other movies. It, I think, I don't know. I and think I, it's, it's maybe like, like a... Um, this is a trigger warning for Star Trek fans. I will say. <laughs> yeah, like it, I don't know. People don't like that we hate talent for the game. Yeah, so really not. Gonna I don't that. hate these movies, but I guess because that it was so hyped up, I was like ready to like see some carnage or something. I don't know. But it, I, was... I mean, it had like a dark ending. It had like sort of like the Empire Strikes Back type of a uh, yeah you know, with anti not anticlimactic, but like. You know, the the, the villain kind of won in a way. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, like, there was that aspect. I guess I, I was ready for some, like, major fights or something. Right, and none of these have a whole lot of space battling. Which is kind of weird. Like, again, I think 4 is one of my favorites, but... That like, that's was... like, anti... It's not anti-Star Trek, but again, like, almost nothing happens in space. It's all, oh, yeah. you know, back in time San Francisco... But just, like, the way the characters interacted and, like, the, the nature of the story was, entertaining. was more entertaining. Yeah. Um, with, like, very mild fish-out-of-water elements to it and, and humor that was taken way over the top in five. Like, they, they got rid of, like, most of the humorous aspect. They didn't try to interject it where it wasn't needed most of the time. And they, you know actually had a story that had some intrigue it had some political shit it had like the different alien races get involved it had the space battles you had shoots you know ships shooting on each other 
there yeah. was like a good mix of stuff yeah, happening. It was a good in mix. One. Yeah, th- this was this felt like a movie. I guess the older like the first two movies felt like um I've never watched the original Star Trek TV show like at all. Mhm. But those first two movies just seemed like really long episodes of that show. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, the, like the special effects were were heavier, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, but I think that's what they wanted to go for, for, you know, like, the late 70s, early 80s. But I think what really, what really dragged the first one down, because it had a decent premise, it just took forever for anything to happen. Yeah. The, because they had to reintroduce all these characters and give them their shining moment, and they had, like, a 10-minute sequence of introducing the Enterprise to everyone again. And it's just them, like, showing off their fancy graphics and special effects yeah, work. Yeah, but for someone we who's... we sit bored. Yeah, for someone like me who's never even watched Star Trek... Well, I've watched... I've watched Next Generation, like, four yeah. seasons of TNG. Yeah. But, like, not watching the original and then just going into this, the first 20 minutes was, like... It was nothing. Yeah. It's basically nothing. It was... I was like... And and then the first movie is the longest. It's like two and a half hours. It's, it's, and I was like, oh my... Like, what am I... I was thinking to myself, what am I getting into? But, I mean, here... But... Like, right away, you get a big-time explosion happening, like, right after the credits. You, you can see the improvement in special effects in those shots. But then you also still have some of the campiness, because you have Sulu, who's now captain... Of yeah. the Excelsior, which is a different ship, and the the ripple hits their their vessel, and they're all doing the jump to the side thing mm-hmm. to indicate that an explosion just happened. So there's like there's they still retain that little bit of cheesiness that you expect out of Star Trek in this, which I think is good. But um, you know, at least it gets the story moving a lot faster. I was really worried that they were going to spend a whole lot of time on the goodbyes at the end because I think that they had the impression that this was going to be the last movie for the original cast. Yeah, I thought that was they they knew and because the way they set it up is like they were going to set it up for the next generation cuz sort of, yeah. But also They even kind of implied that they're like we're going to the enterprise is going to be decommission but they've said that in like three of the movies so you know that's also kind of like a weird little thing it's like you know they always kind of set it up for it to end and then they find a way to bring them back but like all of them say that they're like a couple months away from retiring so you know there is more clues that this should be the last one but thankfully they didn't spend a whole lot of time on the goodbyes of it all Um, yeah because that would have added a lot of extra padding at the end that would have dragged the whole experience down instead what we get is a lot of hamlet in this movie which is very strange like i think the the subtitle is the hamlet quote they're just it's humans and vulcans and klingons quoting hamlet to each other like non-stop yeah as if everyone is like so well versed and memorized the entire play like they they really overestimate the way culture progressed <laughs> into the into the, like the 20th 3rd century or whatever it is 
uh, wor- like Shakespeare is just forever lived on. Yeah, and after translated even, into other yeah. languages. Yes. And even into whatever, the year 22, I forgot already. It was like Yeah, it's 22 something, 23 something. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so, even like, I mean, there's a funny quote in there where they say, oh, you should hear the, the play in its original Klingon, right? Like they try to like appropriate Shakespeare and be like, no, actually he was Klingon. You should hear it in the original language because it's mm-hmm. much more effective in that. Um, so I thought that was kind of, you know, a nice little throwaway joke that kind of means something in the grand scheme of things uh, when talking about like older cultures. But <clears throat> where was I going with this? But it's it's really weird to hear everything like phrased within that because it's, it's trying to like really inject a lot of intellectualism into this movie where it doesn't necessarily need to be there uh especially when you're really just trying to tell an allegory of i guess what's supposed to be the cold war i didn't really catch that but you know readings up on some of the the commentary and, and trivia of after the fact i guess it's really meant to be an allegory of the cold war of the time between the u.s and in Russia. I saw it more of a, well, a racial statement. That's how I saw it. Like, I mean, this is, I mean, in 91, yeah, that was like the end. Yeah. We saw that with company business. By the same director. Oh, okay. So... Th- <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Meyer, company business writer and director, also did this one. I, I mean, that went over my head. I, I, okay. I, but, I mean, we were like 10, 11 when that happened. Yeah, I, I, I knew I, of the Cold War. We weren't entrenched in it. We said the same thing in company visit. Like, yeah. I don't know anything about the Cold War besides learning, like, a brief part of it in history class when I was young. But I think part of, like, the, the, the intention here is, like, the Klingons are self-destructing, right? They, they mined their moon to disaster. Now they're on the verge of extinction. And now it's up to the civilized, uh, I, f- I forget what, like, not the Enterprise, like the, whatever the collective is, the Star Force. The Federation. Federation, thank you. It's up to, like, the civilized Federation to decide whether or not to bring them in and integrate them, you know, and, like, how do you trust these people who are on this side of our enemy for so long? It's that aspect of it, whereas, like, that's the takeaway we're supposed to get but now watching it maybe it's just the time we're living in right now where that's more of a focus rather than you know obviously there's russia ukraine conflict and everything else that's going on like geopolitically as well but on the forefront of the news is more race related issues and so that's the lens we're probably adapting to this because you have them saying things like the klingons would be the trash of the planet if we bring them in and that they are all animals, and that we should let them die. And, like, this is very vitriolic language that doesn't really feel like it applies to the Cold War, but I can understand how it could if that's that's your more recent history. So, yeah, it was really strange to hear that, because, I mean, either way, the, the main point of the movie here is how do you trust an entire people when you have some on that side who are hell-bent on killing you and you don't know which ones right it's it's a really interesting concept i think that honestly in the in the world of star trek it's probably best left as a series where you can spend 
a whole episode exploring like one theme and then going on to the next one and exploring that same theme within the same environment. This they're kind of trying to cram a little bit too much into one story. I think that's true of like all of the six, but this one as well. Um, because you have that set piece, but you don't really explore the conversations of that too much. You have an initial scene where you have Chancellor Gorkon and others who are sitting around this table because they're brought on to the Enterprise uh, to have dinner and like chat about like the possible peace between the two different factions. And it's, you know, like an awkward scene where they're all having dinner together and, you know, one side's not eating, the other one is, and they're having... Yeah, they're commenting on how the way each other eat. Yeah, they're making snide remarks. Um... And again, one of the things in the trivia is it sounds like there were some lines that certain cast members like Nichelle Nichols refused to say because, oh. you know, it kind of alluded to the more racial aspect of the situation and they weren't comfortable of like saying like, guess who's coming to dinner when that is a direct reference to a very racially charged movie, guess who's coming to dinner. Um, so... I don't know like there's there's that but then it kind of just goes off on a tangent because you have this political assassination bend to it because after the dinner happens the enterprise experiences a radiation spike <laughs> they see torpedoes fire from the direction of their ship and it hits the klingon consulate ship you see that there are two uh federation people who board that ship and start to shoot and kill the Klingons who are just there, including the Chancellor Gorkhan. And so now there's a political assassination that all looks like it was done on the Enterprise and led by Kirk. So yeah. now you have this big whole hullabaloo mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Kirk gets arrested and sentenced uh, yeah, they come back for the crime. To they come back to retaliate, but Kirk surrenders, and that's when they go on the Klingon ship with... He goes on with Dr. McCoy, because Do they Dr. Actually, Bones McCoy, yeah. They try to revive Gorgon, but he dies, and that's when they arrest them. Yeah. Because they're like, you're killing him more, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But meanwhile, Bones is like, I don't know Klingon anatomy, I don't know how to save him, I'm trying everything, yeah. it's just not working. It... Side note, yeah, it's really he... weird that David Warner played Chancellor Gorkon in this movie because he was just a human character in part five. Like in the previous movie, he was one of those three political prisoners on that Tatooine-like planet. Okay. And now he's a Klingon in the next movie. Oh. Like why not just pick a different actor? Just they, pick they a just, different actor. They use the, their friends. Uh, <laughs> they use the same 50 people or something. It, it just doesn't make sense that they would do that. Cause, yeah, um, you have get this, like a totally different person to play that guy. It's also weird to have Klingons with a British accents. Because he clearly does. He doesn't try to change his voice at all. And you have Christopher Plummer there as well as Chang, another Klingon, mm -hmm. who also is not trying to hide his British accent. And again, that's kind of an effect, right? Like the British accent is used as like a as a way to indicate enemies in certain things because that goes back to like Revolutionary War times, whatever. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, I, I completely stepped on your point to 
See, um, I didn't like David Warner being yeah, in Stories. I'm just moving the story along. <laughs> sure. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we have, uh, we didn't mention General Chang, but, yeah, he's the chief of staff for Gorkin, and he's the one that gets Kirk and McCoy arrested for mm-hmm. assassinating Gorkin. But, um, like, immediately, Gorkin's daughter is, like, in charge as a, I'm gonna fuck the new name. chancellor yeah the new so chancellor. yeah her name is Azetberg and she is the one that's like show them mercy she's she still wants to continue this peace thing yeah she wants to and General Chang talks. is like what the fuck your father died yeah don't you want to bend his death like yeah, avenge his death I mean, the, part of the history that you won't necessarily know if you don't come into this without prior Star Trek knowledge is that the Klingons are a warring faction. Like, they take very much great pride in being, like, the Sparta type of, like, warrior, nothing matters but battle and death type mm-hmm. of a, a race. And so, you know, that's that's part of the conversation of how do you reconcile this? How do you make peace with somebody who is out for blood just by their very nature and history? And, um, yeah, Gorkin and, and his daughter are trying to convince the Federation and Kirk, we're not all like this, we can come into this peacefully because they have no other choice. They will run out of resources and oxygen in, like, a month's time if they can't find somewhere else to, to live. Or 50 years, I think is what it's called. Whatever. So, yeah, Ezebur is like, let's continue the peace talks, but now let's put it in a secret location so the Federation doesn't necessarily know, you know, like, whoever was might be involved in this doesn't know and, and can't, you know, do anything more. Um, and meanwhile, there's a trial with, with Kirk and McCoy. It's thankfully a very quick thing. Like, each of these events is relatively quick. Uh, you have Colonel Worf there as their defense counsel, who's actually trying to do a job of defending yeah. Kirk, uh, played by Michael Dorn as basically an ancestor of his character in Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, his grandfather. Yeah, so that was a nice little touch because TNG was already happening at this time, so it's nice that they brought him in for that. But, you know, they, they, they play Kirk's captain log that we hear earlier in the movie, which somehow the Klingons are able to obtain... Uh, where he says that he doesn't trust any Klingons and he'll never forgive them for killing his son um, yeah, in a the, previous movie. Yeah, it's it's like defending your life again. Yeah, a little bit. It's like, <laughs> did, just you, audio. did you say this? And he's like, yeah, those are the words those that came out of my... Those are the words I used, yeah. But he's also not <clears throat> the sole decision maker, so even if he decides not to accept or or forgive the Klingons and that's okay because you know it's really a Federation's job and he doesn't have to accept it um Kirk doesn't have to be a perfect man but anyway they they do get committed convicted that's the better word uh and then they're put into this icy prison camp thing in the tundra of whatever Mm -hmm. planet this is um, the Vera Penth mines. Yeah, they're put into the, this mining prisoner camp, and the person who introduces them to that has the most plastic-looking head covering of all time. It's really an unfortunate, bad, fake Klingon-like 
Halloween mask thing that he <laughs> has on. And so now, you know, they're they're in there with a bunch of other prisoners, and he has to fight this giant dogman thing. Uh, and then Iman is there as this new character called Martia, I think is yeah. how it's pronounced, right? Um, and she is like a shapeshifter type of a person who uses her abilities to try to help them escape. But that turns out to also be kind of fake because, you know, they're walking across these frozen hills. They make quite a bit of progress. And then she turns herself into another version of Kirk. And then, you know, there's a Kirk on Kirk fight. Right. Well, she... She's double-crossing them. Yeah, that... She's shape-shifting, like, in front of them, and then there's, like, a dumb scene where she kisses Kirk. She kisses him, I think, to hopefully get him to go along with her plan of escaping the prison. Yeah, and then, you know, McCoy's, like, rolling his eyes. I'm like, do they really need to show that? I don't know. Well, that was also part of Kirk's history, so if you weren't really fully aware of (laughs) Star Trek... No, I get it. Like, he's, like... like, He was the Lothario, and he was, always, like, getting into bed with all the different alien races. Yeah, but he's, like... So it's a callback to that. uh, At that point, I'm like, no. Yeah, they didn't do that for any of the other five (laughs) movies. Yeah, I was like, why do it now? So that, that is a little odd, out of place... Um, but yeah, like at some point she turns into a, a Kirk versus Kirk and, and makes a little but snide remark like, oh man, I just, you know, I can't believe I kissed shift, you. It's like, oh, yeah. it must have been She shape, shape shifts into like another creature. It was like a little girl to escape the shackles and, and get them But in. then it was another, it was a little girl to escape that. And then yeah, it was like a big burly sort of... like creature. Yeah. And then that's when like Kirk and McCoy are like, like, like what's your real form you know like what do you use as your real form i think the joke was you know when when she turned into kirk Mm -hmm. kirk said i can't believe i kissed you and then she made the comment i guess that was you know that must have been a lifelong dream for you indicating oh he really loves himself that much that man aren't you glad you got to kiss yourself like that's that's what i got out of it oh I think that's what, you know, that he's so self-centered and self-absorbed that he would love to to be with himself. That's the vibe I got. But either way, the the Kirk-on-Kirk fight wasn't even, like, a double-impact type of a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, it was very creative editing, sort of, but not really. Like, clearly there's never two people in the same shot. There is at some point where they do the but not well, when the Klingons show at the same time, yeah. like, while they're fighting. Oh, while they're fighting, no, but yeah. when they're like standing side to side, I know you can split. Yeah, it yeah, they're very far apart from each other. But yeah, when the Klingons do come and find them, and then that's when they do shoot him. No, shoot him. Yeah, and then they shoot and then Martia, they shoot... <laughs> the shapeshifter, and like she's gone. She. Dead. Like it was so quick, it was super quick resolution. Anyway, so yeah, Kirk and Kirk and McCoy are, are fine. <laughs> so good. Well, um, yeah, they, and they, they have the a Klingons were like whatever. they were gonna come after Kirk and McCoy, and they were like gonna tell them who was responsible for getting them to like be jailed in that mine 
Uh And as they were telling them, that's when they get, you know, sucked back into the Enterprise. Yeah, they were gonna. They were going to be killed as well. Yeah, but they got transported back into the Enterprise by Spock at the last minute. But the jailers were going to say, "Oh, actually, who's behind it is so and so," because you know you're gonna die anyway, so we might as well tell you. Yeah, and they as that they're gonna be told. You know, that's when they get transported back, and yeah. then you know they make this whole thing like, "No, they were gonna tell us," and then there's like the whole joke where they're like well do you want me to send you back and they're like no but we just wanted to know the answer i guess but anyway like there's this big old thing right so when the assault happened and chancellor gorkon was killed it was done while the ship had no gravity and the foundation i'm gonna keep saying foundation because i'm thinking of isaac asimov but <laughs> federation, federation um the federation troops had gravity boots yeah this this novel thing that only two people on the ship have and, and so like they they kill everybody is this movie anyway um <laughs> is this movie supposed to be in 3d oh yeah because there's the part I tried to look that up and I couldn't see. There are so many shots that make it look like it's supposed because to be there's, 3D. Yeah, there's like globules of blood that float on by. And there's people who are like, like unfurling maps towards the camera and things like that are happening every once in a while too. I mean... Uh, Just a lot of things are played towards the lens. It could be, it could have been like a 3D... Or maybe they Limited planned for thing. it and then they scrapped it at the last minute so it never actually came out in 3D. Because they're like, eh, no one will care. It's not worth the, the expense. I don't know. Anyway, I mean, the reason I bring that up... 3D was kind of huge around this time. That's when you had... Uh, I can't even think Nightmare on Elm Street was yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, was, but that wasn't a huge movie. So. I guess. <laughs> the reason I bring it up in, in general is because you have the, the 3D blood globules who attach themselves to the boot as the assassins get transported and so they have this revelation because they're exploring the transporter and they happen to notice the blood and they're like oh we gotta find the boots we gotta find the clothes because that means that the killers are on board and we can find the killers long story short there's a new character we haven't mentioned a single time called lieutenant valeris uh who is the new female vulcan to replace the old female Vulcan who was introduced in, in part two? Right? Is that when Kirstie Alley's character was? Was that two or three? Yeah, two. Um, Kirstie Alley was in two, and then it was a different actress for parts three and four? And then I don't think she appeared in five. No, she was not in five. And then in six, it's no longer that person. It's not it's even now her, a it's different, a different one. It's now it's Valeris. a different character. Now it's Lieutenant Valeris. Uh, she is the guilty person. She's responsible for the whole thing. Kind of. Working in conjunction with the Klingons, obviously, because the Klingons also have this bird of prey, which can shoot while cloaked, which apparently is a very big deal. Uh, the movie makes it out to be that way, so that's the only way I know that that's a big deal, is that everyone's like, there's no such thing! Well, there's a prototype. And so they were underneath the Enterprise and made it look like the Enterprise had shot the, the, the missiles and Lieutenant Valeris had modified the logs to make it look like the Enterprise had shot missiles when they hadn't because Scotty could see that they were still there physically. 
And so all roads eventually lead to Lieutenant Valeris. You can see how, like, the, the through line of, like, the, the subplot of, you know, should we mend our ties with the Klingons is, like, long gone. Anyway, they learned that there's going to be another assassination attempt at this new location for the peace treaty, and so they have to find out where that's going to be. Yeah, to discover the identity of the other conspirators, that's when Spock does his uh, mind meld uh, thing on Valeris. Yeah, and that grabs scene, her face. That scene, uh, I mean, it was intense, but it also made me laugh. Just the... The facial reactions? Yeah. Just, I'm imagining trying to act that, and it's just making me laugh. Yeah. Know. And like you're being probed. Yeah, for some, yeah. Um, but gets the names of Cartwright, Chang, and this other Romulan character who's in like one scene before this. Um, Cartwright is the Federation representative who assigned Kirk to be the ambassador for this entire mission, so basically setting him up to fail. Mm -hmm. Chang is, you know, Christopher Plummer's character, who is the one who's like um, putting Kirk into the, the prison. And then the Romulan is has the ear of. I don't know what this character, the Federation president's, uh, played by Kurtwood Smith. I have, I have no idea what alien race he's supposed to be. If if he's also Romulan or something, I don't think so. But that Romulan has the ear of the Federation president. So yeah. whatever. Anyway, so they learn about this. They have to find out the location of where this is going to be, and they use Valeris to to get that info as well as like Captain Sulu is also able to um, intercept messages and. and learn it and, and transmit it to the Enterprise as well from a different ship. So Yeah, Enterprise and the Excelsior, they like race to the location where the peace talks were. Because they need the backup too, you know, we, we need to make sure that the any ships are there are, are going to be uh taken care of. So they're able to make it basically just in time and like it's such a trite assassination attempt where you have like Cartwright in the stands sweating up a storm and you have the sniper who's climbing up to a higher vantage point and very slowly putting his gun together while everyone's racing around trying to find him and all this kind of stuff it's very very by the book type of stuff that we basically saw in True Identity a couple <laughs> a couple movies ago yeah. same basic scene uh, and of course they make it in time they're able to stop everything and uh, yeah, the federation it's... president who was going to be assassinated was saved by kirk and then they you know uh, exposed cartwright and everyone else so yeah at the suggestion like uhura she comes up with this thing where spock and mccoy modify a torpedo to home to, like, exhaust the emissions and change shift. This is, like, at the very end. Yeah, because, like, the Klingons are going to get away slash also try to destroy the Enterprise. And so what they do is they, they're able to cloak, right? So they're yeah. in the prototype, so they're cloaked. They have no idea where this Klingon ship is, but it's firing at the Enterprise. It's, just, it's starting to destroy them. And so, yeah, Ohuros is, like, yeah, the, well, it's, it's starting it's, it's to emitting get like gas. Heavy yeah, you know there there's heat. There's some sort of gas propelling this yeah, missile. Shit. So let's let's rig our torpedoes to basically be heat seeking missiles to find this gas and, and target it. Yeah. So go Uhura. Yeah, 
uh, and, and then, then Sulu it helps reveal, by saying, like, it like you know, reveals his location after that, and, and then, just blows up the. And that's when you see like the Enterprise, like the the way they show the ship getting torpedoed is funny. I don't know because it's just like the graphics. They look a little outdated, sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it just makes me laugh, I guess, because if, this is like. Go, seeing graphics from like Terminator 2 and then like this movie like it's yeah another one that's supposed to be kind of big budget right? yeah this yeah. is like I just unless it was meant to be like cheesy like that maybe I mean like I definitely think that there's it's kind the of element like, of you it's want like it you to can be... tell that it's like some toy thing on a string like I don't know yeah like you want it to be like kind of interesting but at the same time you want it to have that that not rough and ready feel but you know like you want it to have that same vibe from like the 1960s still yeah that's what i'm saying like are they still trying to do that vibe even though it's the 90s now when you can do like graphics i'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and say yes okay that's that's part of the plan but yeah, then, then, you know, everyone's exposed, and so someone's like, you know, arrest yourself, and then there's like a slow clap. <laughs> it's yeah, basically like the, the end yeah, of the movie. The, the slow clap at the end made me laugh. And then that's it, like, they're, they're heroes. Yeah, arrest yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then that's it. They yeah, say then, some brief goodbyes, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Kirk, like, in his log, says, you know, the ship, like, it, they're gonna do, uh last hurrah and the enterprise and then notes that the new ship and crew were carry on their legacy and that's the end yeah. uh, the the um, the way the movie ended with their autographs mm-hmm. was cool like yeah, the, nice the, the ending credits it it was um just every major character or cast member yeah all the enterprise crew yeah, yeah all the major characters on the enterprise it's their signatures as coming up on the screen during the credits yeah and i thought that was cool oh. yeah that was nice um but and then also it starts off by saying for gene roddenberry who died during the production i'm not sure if you're getting into that more I will say that Gene did die in October twenty fourth, nineteen ninety one. So like now I understand he was at least involved in the making yeah, of this he movie was. up until his death. So, and I I did read in the trivia that there was like a a scuffle or something between him and Nicholas Meyer. Yeah, like even it just said that you know he was like on an oxygen tank at that point and you know very sickly but i don't know i think that was something that nicholas meyer was like he regrets uh (laughs) having that fight with him i guess it's always tough when you know that would be like your last conversation with somebody before they pass away i don't know there's my understanding is that there's been a lot of infighting across this whole thing. That could be like a podcast in itself, talking about all the different like behind-the-scenes drama of just the Star Trek movies. So yeah, I mean there there's like too much information. Yeah, we're not going to be able to cover nearly all of it, but overall, I think we think this is one of the better of the six. 
Yeah. Oddly enough. So, I don't know. I was scared, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, watching the other ones, we were, we were worried. Um, but it was, it was a nice way to end it, I think. I still think the Generations is better, so... I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think the the ones from like the current ones from like two thousand and nine and beyond the first one of those are better. Let's get into casting crew and stuff. How about that? Um, well, okay. Awards wise, we got a couple Oscar nominations. We got best makeup and also best sound effects editing. At the Saturn Awards, which is, you know, celebrating sci-fi primarily, it was nominated for Best Makeup, Costumes, Writing, Supporting Actress for Kim Cattrall, who played Lieutenant Valeris, and also won the Best Sci-Fi Film, I think, over Terminator 2. I, I didn't actually look that up. I should have. At the MTV Movie Awards, it was only mentioned in the quotes montage, and then also as part of a Best Hairdo's Fake Nominee cast and crew nicholas meyer we've talked about before he's the director and writer of company business he also directed star trek 2 so you know not too many people returned to direct multiple i i heard the leonard nimoy was possibly going to be directing this one but they were afraid of possible behind the scenes drama because nimoy directed four which was a success and, and well received whereas and then shatner, shatner did five which was a shit show and so he was worried about Nimoy coming back and taking the like spotlight resurre again. Yeah, like resurrecting the shit that he did. Yeah. So Nicholas Meyer was brought in once again. Denny Martin Flynn, the other writer. This is the only credit for Denny Martin Flynn. So I don't know how they got involved. Uh, also credited for story is Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal, who commonly work together. Uh, they've done things like the Emmy-nominated roots 2016 version they did jewel of the nile superman 4 the beverly hillbillies movie um and then also 1991's sometimes they come back uh leonard nimoy is also credited for the story i guess there's also some behind the scenes drama of this where there was some other story that was scrapped but they fought to get their credit retained on the on the screen i don't know whatever <laughs> um Leonard Nimoy as Spock has one of the more long-standing careers outside of Star Trek. Emmy-nominated for this role, uh, the TV show, not this movie. Also nominated for A Woman Called Golda. He's in 1991's Never Forget. He did a voice in the Transformers movie. He was on the Mission Impossible TV show back in the day. He also narrated In Search Of and Ancient Mysteries, which were long-running uh, documentary style programs as a director we also mentioned he did you know, he did he did three and four sorry not mm -hmm. just four we also directed star trek three yeah um aside from that he also directed three men and a baby and funny about love along with other movies william shatner is captain kirk golden globe and emmy winner for boston legal emmy winner for the practice also nominated for a guest spot on third rock from the sun Razzie nominated for Star Trek V for screenplay, directing, and acting. Also, Razzie nominated for Star Trek Generations, and also as Worst Actor of the Century. <laughs> uh, on the Stinkers side, Stinkers Award nominee for Free Enterprise, 
which is again based on Trekkie culture. Uh, obviously, he was just like all of the, the main Enterprise cast. They were part of the original series back in 1966 through 1969. They also largely all took place in the animated series, which was in 1973. But Shatner also went on to do T.J. Hooker and then also Tech War, which was based off of his novels. They did a TV show off of that, too, which I didn't realize. Uh, a lot of these actors, honestly, haven't done much besides Star Trek and Star Trek adjacent stuff, but we'll quickly go through their names. We got DeForest Kelly as Bones McCoy, who was Razzie nominated for Star Trek V as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he's done a ton of guest and TV spots in Westerns from like the mid-40s, so he's a long-standing actor. A lot of them are. James Doohan is Scotty. He's in 1991's Knight Rider 2000. He did appear in other TV shows like Peyton Place, Encounter, and also a different space show called Space Command, which ran for 150, well, he was in 150 episodes back in 1953. Uh, Walter Koenig as Chekhov. He came in late. He actually wasn't an original Star Trek cast member. He came in in like the second season, I think. Uh, he also did some time on Babylon 5. Nichelle Nichols as Uhura. Daytime Emmy nominated for Young and the Restless, relatively recently, actually. Uh, she's also a singer and dancer who worked with Duke Ellington and uh, was on Porgy and Bess. She did Ant- Antony and Cleopatra. Uh, she also did voice acting work for Batman, Gargoyles, and Spider-Man. George Takei as Captain Sulu, now Captain Sulu. Tons and tons of cameos because of his voice, so he's done a ton of voiceover work. Uh, and then on the live-action side, he's also done TV shows Heroes and the Terror. Kim Cattrall is Lieutenant Valeris, Golden Globe winner and Emmy-nominated five times over for Sex in the City. Razzie-nominated for Bonfire of the Vanities, About My Father, and also a Razzie winner for Sex in the City 2, the movie. In 1991, she's also in Miracle in the Wilderness. Aside from this, she has been in Porky's, Police Academy, Big Trouble in Little China, Mannequin 1, Baby Geniuses, and also, more recently, the How I Met Your Father TV show. Uh, as it Burr was played by Rosanna DeSoto, who was the Spirit Award winner for Stand and Deliver. She's also been in About Last Night, The In-Laws and La Bamba. Uh, Brock Peters played Admiral Cartwright. He's a Tony-nominated actor for Lost in the Stars. He got to start doing Carmen Jones and Borgie and Bess. He was uh, in To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, Black Girl, Soylent Green. He played Darth Vader in the radio adaptations of Star Wars. He, uh, he also did a lot of voice acting as well. Um, and then a lot of major names that we've already covered before, like Christopher Plummer, we've seen in Money and Rockadoodle. He played Chang. David Warner as Chancellor Gorkin, we saw in Cast a Deadly Spell and TMNT 2. Iman as Martio was in L.A. Story and House Party 2. We have Kurtwood Smith as the Federation President, who was in Company Business and Oscar. And then Christian Slater had a cameo in this one as a Excelsior communications officer who went to Sulu's door to ask him a question. Had like two lines. We saw him in Robin Hood, of course. So there we go. Big, big cast and crew. On to true crime and pop culture. Okay, this movie was released on December 6, 1991, which was a Friday. And I have, we have not talked about any other movies that were released on 
this day. Not a lot wanted to compete with this movie, which is, is I guess, understandable in, in Wait, one way, but like five what? also kind of. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about, well, I'm going to talk about TV. <laughs> but because I noticed a TV show that I haven't talked about before, and it still, it kind of has a tie-in to Star Trek. But um, on NBC, there was a show called Man of the People, and it was a double episode. It was like a full hour. And Man of the People is... Oh, man. Sounds like it would be a Tim Allen show these <clears throat> days. <laughs> yeah. It's a sitcom that starred James Garner. Do you know who he is? Yeah, I know okay. James Garner. All right, yeah. it's from Rockford Files. And this show, is, it only lasted a season, and the last two episodes were unaired, so it was canceled. Mm. But this shit... The show started in September 15th. The last episode... the So there's 12 episodes. The 10th episode wasn't until July of 1992. So the ones that were on December 6th, 1991 was like a double episode before like the season end okay. ended for them to like, you know... Just clear out the... Yeah, <laughs> the backlog. Almost. Yeah, but then it this show didn't come back on until July of ninety two, and then I guess that episode didn't do so well, so they didn't even bother to air the last two episodes of this season. So yeah, this so it, it is says it, is it a comedy. Yeah, it's a comedy. Okay. The premise is about a man of who has a dubious past who joins the city council in place of his wife he is savvy and becomes very popular which endangers the plans of several other politicians in town especially the devious mayor it's to, james garner plays jim doyle who becomes like the new mayor and his wife was his wife who's lisbeth chardon is played by Kate Mulgrew, was, I guess, was the former mayor. Um, the episodes that were aired on December 6th was Mr. Doyle goes to Vegas, and he goes to a mayor's convention in Las Vegas. So this is like a one-hour double episode, so hilarity ensues in yeah. Vegas. But the Star Trek connection but is... The Star Trek connection is Kate, Kate Mulgrew. Mulgrew because she was in Star Trek. Eventually. Yeah. I'm sure it's a great show. It's probably not a great <laughs> show. I want to know, like, how he filled in for his wife. Like, it just says that he took over as mayor, because his wife used to be mayor, but I want to know <laughs> why. Yeah. How is that, like, possible <clears throat> in, in a democratic Like, what society? happened to her where he has to be mayor if he's just like not even qualified but maybe that's why it's funny i don't know yeah <laughs> but um so then i also looked up to see what was on daytime tv and i saw on archive.org that there was an episode of the one hundred thousand dollar pyramid 
And when I looked into this, it looked like it was the finale for this tournament. It was called Tournament Week. Oh, okay. So that was that's what was happening. Yeah, because we, we only watched this episode. It had Adrian Barbeau, who she was in Maud. These, these were the celebrity partners. Adrian Barbeau and then Jason Alexander was the other celebrity on this. And it, they were, like the first segment was um, like the guy who came on with Adrian, like he won the $100,000. Yeah. But he was like a, a tournament week. So it was like from the previous day, which we didn't watch that episode because we only have this one. But yeah, apparently this was canceled and this was Davidson's final appearance as being the host. John Davidson. Yeah, John Davidson. But anyway, I'm just, so the, I'm just going to do like a cliff notes of like the Pyramid franchise. So the Pyramid it started off as the $10,000 Pyramid which debuted in 1973. And that was presented by Dick Clark. He's like, you know, the most notable Mm -hmm. presenter or host of this show. And the, the premise, I mean, I don't know if we should like, you know, it's two celebrity guests that come on with just, you know, regular people. They attempt to identify words or phrases through the clues that are given by their teammates that you know they get chosen from this pyramid on the board and the title refers to you know the pyramid shape and whatever when they get something right you know a dollar amount comes turns around and you can win ten thousand dollars at that point but i thought this was interesting the pyramid series won nine daytime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Game Show, which was second to Jeopardy. I never cared too much about Pyramid. Uh, it's fine. It's okay. <clears throat> like, I don't know. I I prefer a lot of other game shows to that. I mean, I'll watch it. But, so the first, so there's, there's various versions. You have the first, the $10,000 pyramid was from 1973 to 1980. And in 1974, it increased from 10000 to $20,000. And then from 1982 to 1988 was the new $25,000 pyramid. Mm. And then... The $50,000 pyramid came in 1988. And then we had, for this specific tournament one, 1991, that's where it became the $100,000 pyramid. Yeah, because I remember the $25,000. That's the one I watched most. That was so super. That was from the 80s, yeah. Well, yeah, he did it all the way up to 1980. When you said John Davidson hosting... Pyramid. I'm like, I don't remember that happening at all. He only did it for this specific tournament one. Yeah. Which it, I mean, the other hosts were Bill, was Bill Cullen. Okay. And then, you know, after everything as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then Donnie Osmond, you know, he did the, oh, yeah. He did the reboot like in the 2000s. 
Yeah, movies. and then you have even at there there was Mike Richards. Hmm. He did the ones from uh like in the two thousand like nine to, you know, whatever. Okay. And then now you have Michael Strahan. Yeah. John Davidson is best known for Hollywood Squares. Yes. So he just did this tournament week in 1991, but I guess it was going to be a thing, but it didn't because it was canceled on this day, on December 6, 1991. But we we have the episode and we watched it. And I mean, like I said before, the first person... Um, won the $100,000. It was like an older man with uh, Adrian Barbeau helping him win. Yeah. And then the second part was with uh, Jason Alexander. He went up there with uh, his partner and the guy only won like $20,000 or something, but still. But I, I think he had won 100000 in a previous episode. Yeah. Like his so, total winnings were high. Yeah, his total winnings for that was like just an extra 20000 which I mean... But that was... it. The way that they ended this show made it sound like they were going to continue this, but it was canceled. Yeah, it was very unbeknownst to them. Yeah, so it wasn't like a... They didn't know that it was going to end, so it wasn't like a last hurrah goodbye situation. That's why yeah. when we were watching it, I was kind of confused. But yeah, I read a little bit further into it. But on the archive.org episode that we watched, there was only one little segment of commercials. Most of it was cut out. Yeah, but the commercials we watched were, you know, for... It was a Dirt Devil rolling... Uh, one of those rolling... It was like a pre-Swiffer. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> you know, just like a dirt double thing where you. And then it was the plastic wrap. I remember this. It was like the, the different seal. colored plastic wrap. Yeah, the, the seal. actual like animal seal. Yeah, with, playing around with Tupperware. And then just like uh, I don't even know if they make this anymore, but Dash the laundry detergent. Was right. like the third one, but I remember that commercial, like the lady who's like avoiding getting, like yeah, a puddle, like a, all over the place. Yeah, like she. Yeah, in the beginning of the commercial, it's just a woman who's spilling things, and like a car drives by, and you know a puddle splashes up into her. But then, she uses dash, and then everything avoids her, like every stain and whatever avoids her clothes. But, that was it. All right, so we'll move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put Star Trek Six? I'm gonna give this a three. A three? Okay. Is that controversial? For you? <laughs> I don't know. I think that might uh, keep some of the Star Trek fans at bay a little bit. Perhaps we'll hope. I um, I was scared that this movie was going to be bad because I was really like the fifth one really made me angry like I <laughs> I was like I do not want to watch this yeah but it I worked out surprised okay. um on my zero to four star scale I'm gonna say it's probably two and a half stars none of them are amazing none of them are all that 
great. This is the second time we've watched six movies of a series for this podcast. I prefer watching Nightmare. I will rewatch all six Nightmare on Elm Street movies over this. What about all six Howlings? I have. I know it's not going to happen, but <laughs> I'm scared to watch. It. <laughs> I'm scared. I mean, even I was like dreading the Chucky ones because I remember like. Yeah. But I actually liked the Chucky. I, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed watching the but, Chucky series. Yeah, because I remember when I used to watch Chucky, I was like, eh, this isn't really whatever. Like, I'm not scared of Chucky. So I'm just like, eh. But when we, we, when we re-watched it, I was like, yeah, I'll continue on. Yeah. But this... This you know, was... Um... It was like a a real chore yeah so every <laughs> this movie's was worth like a, a full-time job yeah I, I think we're probably both in a not for a long long time if we would. no i wouldn't watch no i would not I, uh, like i don't i really don't have any desire to go back to any of the original star trek movies like maybe the next generation series maybe oh and like i'm curious the about ones, the other ones sure. yeah but i'll watch uh star trek next generation yeah, it's like like so. I I don't mind I don't mind the series. I don't know about the originals. I I would probably watch an episode or two of the original series of Star Trek, but I don't think I want to go back to any of the original films again. I think that's no, there's, I, maybe four. They're mostly just paced terribly. There's not much of a reason to. I mean, I like the fourth one. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll actually rewatch the fourth one. Like on its own. Sure, it, but it is like the least Star Trek-y in a way. So that that kind of makes sense. Anyway, if you out there want to watch Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, as of this recording in February 2024, it's available on Max, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As it, always check your local listings as that can change because Paramount had it for a long time and now Max does and Paramount will probably get it later again. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube, just search 1991movierewind it, or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to watch The Prince of Tides. That's available on digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We'll see you then. Thanks.